Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a glass of rosé. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a daiquiri mocktail, and in this week's case, we're going to look at the disappearance of Molly Tibbetts. This case caused many to look at our immigration system and the harms of illegal immigration. We discussed the United States Immigration Enforcement Agency, ICE, and the flaws within that agency in a previous episode. So in today's episode, we're going to focus more broadly on the immigration process and why people are worried about unvetted immigration. And Molly's case is definitely tragic. Molly Tibbetts was born on May 8, 1998 in San Francisco, California, to Rob Tibbetts and Laura Tibbetts. When she was in the second grade, her parents divorced and she moved to Iowa with her mother and two siblings. At the time of her disappearance, she was a resident of Brooklyn, Iowa, a small town east of Des Moines, and a psychology major at the University of Iowa. She worked at a children's day camp at Grinnell Regional Medical Center and was preparing for her sophomore year in college. On July 18, 2018, Tibbetts, a former cross-country runner, left the home of her boyfriend's brother in Brooklyn for an evening jog. This was her typical thing, and on this day, she was last seen at approximately 7.30 p.m. and was reported missing by her family when she did not show up for work the following day. According to police, her last confirmed communication was with her boyfriend shortly before leaving for her jog. Over the next several weeks, police in multiple states investigated hundreds of leads in the case. They received over 2,300 tips and conducted over 500 interviews during the course of the investigation. As she was known to always be wearing her Fitbit activity tracker, police attempted to use its data to help find her. About four weeks after Tibbetts' disappearance, police said that the search had been refocused to several specific areas in and around Brooklyn, including her boyfriend's home, a truck stop, a car wash, and two area farms. A reward for information on her whereabouts kept growing and reached nearly $400,000. On August 21st, police in Iowa announced that a body had been found in Poweshik County. The body was identified as Tibbetts in an autopsy that was conducted two days later by the Iowa State Medical Examiner. On August 23rd, the Iowa State Medical Examiner performed an autopsy and recorded the cause of death as multiple sharp force injuries and the manner as homicide. There's only one suspect in this case, and that is Christian Rivera. Rivera arrived illegally in the United States from Mexico at age 17 and had lived in the Poweshik County area for several years. Rivera self-identified and received his paychecks under the name John Budd. The police identified Rivera as a person of interest after reviewing videos of Tibbetts on her route and noticed a dark Malibu following her. The car was connected to Rivera. After his arrest, Rivera used his phone to show investigators the route he took to the cornfield from Brooklyn. Special Agent Rick Ron stated, quote, It seemed that he followed her, seemed to be drawn to her on that particular day, and for whatever reason, he chose to abduct her, end quote. In a police affidavit, officers said Rivera told them he followed Tibbetts in his car and then got out and ran behind alongside of her. He said she grabbed her phone and threatened to call the police. Then he, quote, panicked and got mad. 
claiming that what happened next was, quote, blocked from his memory. Rivera has pled not guilty to the murder, and the trial was moved from Poweshit County to Woodbury County. There have been multiple delays due to questions from the defense about whether Rivera was Mirandized properly and COVID. And the trial is currently set to begin on May 21st, 2021. Both the prosecution and defense agreed that the procedures in place because of the COVID-19 pandemic could cause issues due to the need for interpreters. So this case seems pretty straightforward, but of course, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Jenny, what are your thoughts on this case? Just hearing about the details of the case itself, it makes me sad for several different reasons. I hate hearing about another woman that was murdered while she was just trying to live her life. All she wanted to do was go running and someone noticed her while she was just going about her life and decided they wanted to murder her. I know he says that he got scared and I guess killed her because of that, but I'm wondering, did he intend to kill her that whole time and he's just saying it? And if he didn't intend to kill her, what was he going to do? Sexually assault her? That's all I can really think of. I feel like we hear about these cases so often where someone have a routine which everyone says is dangerous to have because people can pick up on these habits. I don't know if he had seen her before, but a lot of times when people do have these routines, people in your area take notice and they take advantage of that. And it's just not right that this is what so many people deal with, particularly women in you know, this case, it was Molly, she was going for a run. I've heard so many Dateline NBC 2020 stories where a woman was out running and someone attacked her. It reminds me a little of Ahmaud Arbery's case too, where he was just out for a run. A lot of times women can't really live live their lives without having to worry about something. I don't know if you got any vibes like that, Del. I definitely did. I think that his claim that he panicked and killed her is definitely undercut by the fact that he was following her in his car. The fact that he even admits that he noticed her running and he parked his car and got out of it and started following her so that he could get a better view. It goes against your, oh, I was just panicking and got mad. Well, what were you actually getting mad at? My theory is that she rejected him And unfortunately, we've talked about this in the past. A lot of times women are not safe if they reject a man. He had a entitlement or felt like he had an entitlement to her, her time, her attention. And when she did not reciprocate his advances, I think that he snapped and he killed her. I think the same exact thing happened and it's not uncommon. Something else that comes to mind with this is not all men. And I know people want to criticize that. But when people say that they don't mean all men. And I saw this post on social media. So take with it what you will. But I thought it was interesting. It said no one actually thinks all men, just too many men, just enough to be afraid, just enough men that all women have experienced it, just enough to make it a social problem, not a personal one. It's definitely not all men. It's not most men. Most men are great. Most men are protectors and providers and wonderful individuals. But it's definitely the case of a small fraction of a population being responsible for so much harm. It's not something that can be ignored in the guise of you don't want to make the other men seem bad. You don't want to make the other men upset. 
well, then do better at checking the other people within your population. And I feel like a lot of times people use the excuse of, well, it's not my business. Uh, it's not my place. As long as you keep saying that, girls will keep being afraid of rejecting men because they don't know how they're going to react to it. Ah, Mandel. And it kind of makes me think when I was in school, when we talked about bullying, we were taught to be upstanders and not bystanders. So to do something instead of just looking and acting like you don't notice it. I would love to see more men hold their friends accountable. And like you said, to stand up for women. I know if I was in an uncomfortable situation and because of a man and his friend, you know, kind of stood up for me, or if any man stood up for me, that would, you know, be really meaningful for me personally. So Molly's case brought in the conversation of immigration due to the fact that Rivera was a illegal immigrant. We just want to note that there are real differences between legal and illegal immigration. Except for people who generally frown on non-Americans, legal immigrants are seen as a positive for the country and a way to import talent from around the world. Illegal immigration receives criticisms based on many factors, including crime rates, governmental benefit use, and so-called anchor babies. Before we get into the different criticisms, let's define our terms. Legal immigration refers to instances where a non-citizen alien is in the country legally under permanent resident status. There are several ways for non-citizens to obtain legal immigration status. These include family-based visas, employment visas, fiancé or marriage-based avenues, and asylum or refugee status. Illegal immigration refers to a violation of the immigration laws and policies that are enforced in the United States or any other country. It generally refers to a person who has entered the United States illegally, though it can include other types of violations as well. And this includes people who have come into the United States on a valid visa, but then overstayed that visa. So Jenny, what are your general thoughts on legal versus illegal immigration? I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about immigration processes within the country, but I do know that it's a very strenuous process to become a legal immigrant and then a United States citizen in this country. I've mentioned before, I don't like how illegal immigrants are villainized or illegal immigrants for that matter. I know people that look down upon legal immigrants as well. I think we're still a pretty xenophobic country and I don't think that is the way to go, especially when we always want to tout how we're the melting pot of the world and, you know, we accept everyone. People came over to the United States because they weren't accepted, but then we don't want to welcome people the way we act like we do. And I don't know enough about open borders to really know if I 100% agree with that either but something I would like to learn about I know a lot of the world has that I think there are reasons people do immigrate here illegally there's that image of someone hopping over the border from Mexico to the United States and there's a lot of nuances though like you said a lot of people are here illegally because they overstay their visas which I've heard is one of the most common reasons why someone is here illegally so someone isn't doing their job checking into that first off But that idea of that person just on this strenuous journey over to America, like we're often seen, isn't really the truth. But we mentioned, I believe, in the ICE episode that 
people want to immigrate for a reason. A lot of people want a better life for themselves, for their children. Some people are escaping political prosecution. And I think we need to be mindful of that and take that into consideration when we do have immigration discussions and when we look at immigration reform. I will start off by saying that I am definitely 100% a proponent for illegal immigration. I look back on the things that I like and the type of entertainment and things that I enjoy, and it's definitely been enhanced by the inclusion of different voices from different countries, whether that country be Mexico, Canada, the United Kingdom, Japan, Australia. America is definitely the melting pot. America is definitely the place where you can get a little bit of everything, and it's definitely in my opinion, one of the most inclusive countries in the world. On the other hand, I think that illegal immigration definitely does not help the reputation of legal immigrants. I think that in a lot of ways, people tend to lump them in together like you were saying, Jenny, and then they paint this broad negative picture of what immigrants are. It's also the case that people try to assume whether you are an immigrant or not based off what you look like. I think that right there is one of the main issues because you can't look at a person and tell if they're an immigrant or not. A lot of people that don't like immigration as a whole have a very negative view of people who are not the typical American. They don't speak English. They don't have the same customs. And while I agree that we should definitely be upholding Western culture, Mexico, it's in the Western hemisphere. Mexican culture is Western culture. So the fact that immigrants may not speak English shouldn't be a barrier for them being well received within this country. And to get a bit more stats on illegal immigration, non-citizens constitute only about 7% of the U.S. population, yet they account for 64% of all federal arrests in 2018. Non-citizens accounted for 24% of all federal drug arrests, 25% of all federal property arrests, and 28% of all federal fraud arrests. And Mexican citizens accounted for 40% of all federal arrests. Now, as you know, as A lot of these stats are from federal law enforcement, and that's because it's very hard to get state information on the crimes that illegal immigrants are committing. A lot of times they have false documents. If you live in a place where the police are not going to cooperate with ICE or other federal agencies in control of immigration, it's very difficult to get those numbers. But Jenny, is there anything that's shocking to you about those crime statistics? They're a lot higher than I would have thought. That non-citizens accounted for two-thirds of all federal arrests in 2018. That's kind of mind-blowing to me. And especially um, the Mexican citizens, 40% of all federal arrests. I wouldn't have thought it would be so high, but I wonder if that has anything to do with ICE and how people, I think, are really looking at immigrants with a closer lens. So ICE arrests are definitely 
in this stat. So that could definitely be the case of Mexican citizens being overrepresented in the stats because of the way ICE operates. ICE is not sitting there on the U.S.-Canadian border trying to arrest Canadians that have come in illegally. Not saying that that's like a huge thing, but it's definitely not the case of us having widespread discussions about the need for ICE to increase the arrest of Canadians. Definitely possible. I will say that the two-thirds definitely shocked me too. I definitely expected it to be a lot lower, especially when you consider that they're only 7% of the population. And I know that sometimes people use crime stats to paint a very negative picture of the population, but I thought it was important to illustrate this because there are other factors that go into why someone's being arrested. You have it that a lot of time sheriffs are telling their officers to look for people that they think are illegal immigrants. I'm thinking of Joe Arpaio that made it his mission to arrest as many people that looked like Mexicans. He would rather arrest a bunch of legals than miss one illegal. Just to give you a picture of the type of person that Joe Arpaio is. And Molly Tibbetts' case is just one of many that is used when discussing crimes, specifically murders committed by legal immigrants. We're going to look at three examples. They are often cited in immigration policy proposals. Their families are often called angel families, which is a term to denote that someone has lost a family member to a crime by a foreign alien. So the first example we have is that of Sergeant Brandon Mendoza. Sergeant Mendoza was killed on May 12, 2014 in a violent head-on collision. He was killed by an illegal immigrant, Raul Silva, who was driving drunk and high on meth. He had driven 35 miles the wrong way on four different freeways before slamming headfirst into Sergeant Mendoza's car. Silva also died in the crash, and Mendoza's mom is actually one of the main people that is supporting the Angels family. There's also the case of Jamil Shaw Jr., a 17-year-old Black youth who was shot in the head and back at 2150 5th Avenue in Arlington Heights at 8.40 p.m. on Sunday, March 2nd, 2008. According to police, Jamil was walking home when two Latino men jumped out of a white car and approached him. He was asked what gang he belonged to. When he failed to respond quickly enough, they shot him. Prosecutors say that Jamil was killed by Pedro Espinoza for carrying a red Spider-Man backpack. They say Espinoza, who was a member of the 18th Street Gang, believed the red backpack meant that Shaw was a member of the Rolling Twenties, a rival gang. Jamil's father heard the shots and ran outside. He stayed by his son until medical personnel arrived, Lopez said. He was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead at 9.55 p.m. Espinoza was convicted of killing high school football star Jamil Shaw and sentenced to death. The last case we're going to talk about is the case of Kate Stanell. Kate Stanell died after being shot on Pier 14 in San Francisco on July 1, 2015. Her murderer, Jose Ennis Garcia Zarata, is an illegal immigrant who had previously been deported five times and was wanted for a sixth deportation on drug-related felonies. Garcia was acquitted of all charges, claiming the gun he stole misfired while it was tucked in a t-shirt. And he actually stole the gun from a park ranger 
And while he was charged with stealing the gun, he was also acquitted on that charge as well. And this case caused a lot of backlash. For one, he was in here illegally and he had repeatedly re-entered the country. And San Francisco was criticized because it is a sanctuary city and they didn't cooperate with ICE when trying to remove him. Once he was acquitted, they released him and there hasn't been any updates on him that I could find as of recording, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was out there committing more crimes. I don't understand how a gun misfires when you have it tucked in a t-shirt. Bizarre to me. I don't understand how he was acquitted. I guess he had a good defense. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I'm just like, how do you think that that was okay? Like, it wasn't a reduced charge. It wasn't anything. It was, you killed an innocent girl and you got to walk away scot-free. And I don't think that's right. No, not at all. Like, immigration status aside, it's not right. Unfortunately, Molly's death, and other deaths caused by illegal immigrants have been politicized with the goal of reducing illegal immigration and deporting those who are in the United States illegally. This extends beyond immigration with deaths being used by people to illustrate their point. And I think that a lot of times what people do is they have a point and then they try to find a death that exemplifies the worst sliding scope argument that they can have. I feel the same. Um, I think when it comes to illegal immigration, any of those crimes we just talked about, that could have been committed by anyone anywhere in the world, regardless of their immigration or citizenship status. Um, And before we really move on, I don't know, Del, if you are familiar with Billy Eichner, and he used to have this little game show called Billy on the Street, where he would go up to people and just ask them random questions, um, like, for a dollar, you know, if you have an opinion that it agrees with me, and he'll give you a dollar. But he had a game called Immigrant or Real American. And he named people and the person playing had to say if the person was an immigrant or a real American. He named people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and the Unabomber. And of course, they are real Americans. They're not immigrants. But then he named people like Jackie Chan and Selma Hayek. And we know that they are immigrants. They're not They're not born in the United States. So I think that game, satirical as it is, really does give perspective on how some people view immigration. And it goes back to what you said to Dell about how just because you look a certain way, People think, oh, you must be an immigrant or, oh, you must be born in this country, a true American. And that is so harmful, especially for children growing up, too. They That's something people use to bully you. Oh, you don't look like me? It's because you're not from this country. Or go back to where you belong. If you have an issue with how we run things here, just go back to where you came from. And going back to people using um, someone else's demise to prop up their own point, I think that you can look no further than QAnon, which we talked about on a previous episode, and how they use multiple people's deaths to prop up things like the Clinton body count and to reinforce their twisted notion that Democrats just want to kill anyone that disagrees with them. A politicized death that comes to mind for me is Trayvon Martin. And for anyone that doesn't know, he was a 17-year-old African-American from Florida who was shot 
by George Zimmerman, a 28-year-old Hispanic American. Trayvon Martin was on his way home from a convenience store, and he had a hoodie, and George Zimmerman just felt like something wasn't right with this boy in his neighborhood, and he took action because he felt like he needed to, despite uh, 911 telling him not to go after Trayvon, and he like I said, fatally shot and killed him. And I remember when this happened, I remember I was on a school trip in Washington, D.C., and someone on the subway was selling shirts that said, I am Trayvon Martin. And Trayvon Martin's death actually started the Black Lives Matter movement. So one thing that we definitely wanted to mention was Molly's family's reaction to the fact that people are using her death to try to curtail immigration. Her father was definitely not a fan of the Angel families. He stated that they're way too hostile and they have such a negative view of immigrants in general that he didn't want his daughter's name associated with that organization. And I definitely understand where he's coming from. Sergeant Mendoza's mom is super active in the group and she's one of the group's leadership. And she definitely has said some really harsh things about immigrants. And yes, I understand that that's her son's killer. But I think that also on a certain level, being disrespectful and being racist and xenophobic won't bring your son back. And from all accounts... Sergeant Mendoza was a great person, just like accounts of Molly. And so the fact that they are tied in this way is such a sad thing. If I had a family member that was murdered by an illegal immigrant, I wouldn't want to be part of that group. I think to label yourself as an angel family and to say, to really have part of your identity almost wrapped in the fact that you're family member was killed by an illegal immigrant, I would assume that that person therefore was not in support of immigration. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the case of Molly Tibbetts. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Jenny and Dell signing off. Stay safe.